Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to steal what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, O Christ. Christ. You may be seated. Let us pray. Holy God, we confess to you that the past bears a strong grip upon our imagination. Help us to hold the past loosely. Help us to let go of attempts to control the future. Help us to have faith in a future that you help us to create. Send your grace into our lives and this world. Amen. The first thing we got to talk about in our reading this morning are the last words of the gospel reading. Jesus says, you will always have the poor with me. Believe it or not, there have been preachers that have used that verse to actually distance themselves from any type of ministry that deals with poverty. Some preachers use this verse to say, the poor will always exist. We don't need to bother trying to address the fact that there's poverty. Such an interpretation is very disingenuous to what Jesus meant. When Jesus says, you will always have the poor with you, he is saying it like a command. If you are my follower, if you are one of my disciples, naturally, you will be with the poor. It is part and parcel of who I am and what we do. So getting that clear, we can dive into what's really going on in the passages this morning. Each and every passage is about letting go of the past. In Isaiah, we hear about the prophet remembering how God led the people out of slavery from Egypt into the desert. Thank you for reading this morning, Ingrid. Isaiah recounts how God opened up the Red Sea 
and made a dry path for the people to walk on. And then when God's people made it through the sea, then the ground became muddy so that when the Egyptian army followed, they got stuck in the mud. They were not able to pursue God's people going into freedom. Isaiah says, well, that's all well and good, but now I want you to forget about all that. God's not going to do that anymore. Just the opposite. Where before God made a dry path through the sea, now God is going to bring moisture and water into the desert so that streams flow in the Negev. The Negev is a very dry desert south of Judah on your way down to the Sinai Peninsula, a desert that's more harsh than the rest of the promised land. Forget or let go of the former things I have done, says God, and get ready for a new thing. Now I'm going to bring water into the desert. Then in Philippians, the message is repeated. Paul reflects on his past. Paul says, I came from a lot of privilege. I had it all. I was a Hebrew born of Hebrews. I was circumcised on the exact day I was supposed to be circumcised. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I know all the rules. I did everything. If anyone had a reason to believe that they were righteous in the eyes of God, it was me. And then Paul says, that's all a bunch of rubbish. It means nothing to me now. Instead of all those things that gave me power and privilege, instead now, the only thing that I want is to suffer and die on a cross like Jesus. Wow. I mean, he really says that. Paul says that if you believe in Jesus and if you have faith in him, if you call him your Lord and Savior, that means you point your life toward the cross just like he did. Paul says, I have to forget. I have to let go of the past and I have to accept this new future. This new future that God is making for me. In fact, forgetting about the past can sort of feel like taking up a cross. Then that brings us to our gospel reading this morning. In our gospel reading, we're going to switch my test, 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 one, two. Excuse the technical difficulties. So in our gospel reading this morning, Jesus says something that is challenging. Right before he says, you will always have the poor, he says, excuse me, right after, he says, you will always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. Jesus told his disciples, and we are his disciples, you don't always have me. 
And that's kind of a counterpoint to what we talk about most of the time. Most of the time we say Jesus is always with you. Jesus is in your heart. Jesus is there with you in your time of need. But right here in the Bible, in the very words of Jesus, he says, you don't always have me. Why would he say that? I think he said that to be realistic, to be sober, to recognize that for each and every one of us, there comes a moment in our life of dryness, spiritual dryness, like the dryness of the Negev Desert. We know Mother Teresa in her journals doubted God a lot. Despite all the work that she did, despite the holy woman that she was, she walked through her own deserts of feeling like Jesus wasn't with her. Staying close to the text of the Bible, God's inspired word, we know that this happened precisely when he died on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, all of his disciples felt like they no longer had him with them. So why should we expect it would be any different for each and every one of us? There comes a time when we experience those feelings, when we have those thoughts. And rather than trying to gloss over them and candy coat them and pretend like they don't exist, Paul and Isaiah and Jesus tell us to do the same thing. Embrace the cross. Recognize that each and every human being has a cross to bear. And there is no getting around it. There is no avoiding the cross. It is a fact of life written into the fabric of the universe. So what do we do about it? We have faith. Faith is about embracing our cross and letting God's grace, letting God's grace permeate our lives. When we are at our lowest, when we doubt, when we suffer, God will give us a spark of new life. God will breathe resurrection new life, eternal life, when we face the darkest days. Last week, we had a council meeting. That was not the darkest day. It was okay. It was a good meeting. But, you know, I was getting ready for the council meeting on Wednesday, and I was maybe feeling a little bit of anxiety. And I came to church. We had our Lenten worship at 7. And... I got here early, it was dusk, the sun was setting, starting to get a little bit dark. And when I walked into my office, there was a candle lit and burning by the uh, sink. And it surprised me. What was a candle doing there, burning? And it felt like God's presence was right there in my office miraculously. 
Now, I say miraculously, but the truth was, earlier that day, I changed out the eternal candle. I do that on Wednesdays. I try to when the preschoolers come in for chapel. And there was, you know, maybe two inches of wax left in the bottom. So at the time, I said, I'll just let it burn. And I set it down in my office. That's why the candle was in there burning. But I had forgotten about it. And so when I came in, it did surprise me. And even though there's a rational explanation, it doesn't change the fact that at that time and moment, it reminded me of God's presence, God's faithful presence. And since I had a few minutes, I just sat there. I sat there in front of the candle, sort of trying to be like Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, who just sat there at Jesus' feet. We know that Mary's sister, Martha, also was a woman of faith. She was a practical woman of faith. Martha was a doer. She was a cooker. She was a cleaner. And at another time and place, she got frustrated because Mary was just sitting at Jesus' feet. That's okay. There's different ways of serving God. But sometimes we are just called to sit at Jesus' feet. And so I did that for a few minutes last Wednesday night. And as I did so, a very reassuring message came to me. And the message was this. God said, don't worry. This is my church. I'm in charge of this church. You're my servant. If you really want to know who the pastor is of this church, it's Jesus. Jesus is my pastor. Jesus is your pastor. Jesus is our shepherd. And Jesus, when he rose from the grave, he shepherded this church and he never stopped. And that gives us a profound sense of relief that we are securely under the guidance of the good shepherd, Jesus. So I thought, well, what is that? If Jesus is the pastor, what does that make me? And my friend who I was talking to about this, he said, well, I think it makes you more of a sheepdog. Helping the shepherd, occasionally nipping at heels. Jesus is our shepherd, and we are his helpers, his disciples. Amen. We sing our hymn of the day. I invite you to stand as you're able.